Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhering Apologetics. As always, brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Fred Kuttner. Um, he completed his PhD at the University of Santa Cruz, studying the quantum theory of magnetic phase tr tr transitions. So, just really easy, novel stuff there. <laughs> I don't think he knows that much. But, uh, Fred, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm fine. Th thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, primarily your book, Quantum Enigma, which talks about the encounter between qu qu quantum physics and consciousness and all this fun stuff relating to quantum mechanics. Um, but before we get into that, could you talk a little bit about like who you are and like what you do? Okay. Well, who am I? <laughs> I'm an old guy. I'm 74 years old. Um, what else? I started wanted to be a physicist from early on and I went through school and eventually got a PhD and spent most of my career teaching, although I did spend about a dozen years um, in Silicon Valley electronics business. Um, I'm married for second time between my wife and I, we have six kids, four grandchildren and two great grandchildren. Um, and I, about 15 years ago, I started switching careers. And for the last 10 years, I've been working as a psychotherapist. Mm. I'm so excited for this. And it, it's so fun to talk to you because like, I feel like you're like this brilliant person, but then you're also this very easy to person to talk to being a psychotherapist and all this stuff. So to start off, I'd love to talk about like quantum mechanics and like what got you interested in like studying quantum mechanics and kind of leading you into this journey? Well, if you, if you study physics, you have to study quantum mechanics because quantum mechanics is really at the bottom of everything. Everything that really that we know about the universe, almost everything we know about the universe, we know because of quantum mechanics. It's really mm -hmm. the theory that underlies how everything works, you know? So that's basically how I got into quantum <laughs> mechanics. So what got you hooked? Because obviously you're a physicist, but there's all different kinds of categories of physics. I was talking with one of my friends who's a physics student at Wisconsin, and I talked to him very briefly about quantum mechanics. He's like, oh, my gosh, don't even get me started. Like, it's like this almost like this giant mystery. So what got you interested well, in like, you know, going really, down the hole? It's it's not easy stuff, but any physics major will will study it. You kind of have to. You know, it's, it's one of the things you really have to study. Um. I'd always been, you know, fascinated by it. It's it's really, it's about while it is underlies the basis of our knowledge of pretty much everything in the universe, it, in some ways, it makes no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, we know from our everyday experience that um, things can't be in two places at once. Mm -hmm. Well, in quantum mechanics, Pretty much everything is in many places at once. Mm -hmm. And we know that's true because that's the only way we can understand the world. The world, as a matter of fact, only works the way it does because subatomic particles can be in more than one place at once. Mm. That's so interesting. Um, and we're going to dive into um, quantum mechanics here a little bit more. But I'm curious, you're also an atheist, um, which for some yes. people may be surprising. It's like, what is this that guy doing in bringing these crazy atheists in out of the show? But I mean, for a lot of people, could you talk a little bit about like um, your faith or lack of faith journey and kind of like why you are an atheist? Um, just, just in a little bit here. Well, to, to be 
I guess the, you know, the simplest way to look at it would be when I look at the universe, it does. And, and when I say atheist, let me say that I, I don't practice any religion. I don't really believe any religion. Um, I'm Jewish. I go to temple sometimes. I really enjoy it. I love the prayers. The fact that they're in Hebrew is even better because then I don't have to think about I, that. Then I can pray them. I, I I love the emotionality of it. And then I can pray the prayers without having to worry about the fact that I don't believe a word of them because they're in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So um, just to me, looking at the universe, it does not like, it doesn't look like anything like any of the major religions talk about and so um i don't believe in prayer i don't believe there's a god who answers prayer and if there if there's a creator there might be i don't know what that would mean but if there's something that stands outside our universe that created the universe it really doesn't look much like he cares about individual human beings so in that way, I'm an atheist. Yeah, and thank you for just sharing a little bit about your story. So um, transitioning back to the quantum mechanics here, um, could you talk about your book, The Quantum Enigma? Because I read it last semester and I'm like not studying sciences like seriously, but I'm like, I've just heard things about this book and it'd be really interesting to read. And it kind of just blew my mind thinking about um, just this crazy stuff going on here um, with quantum mechanics and consciousness. Could you talk a little bit about like what's the main idea of the book? Well, the main idea is that physics before quantum mechanics could be explained in a purely mechanistic way. Um, you have these little hard things called atoms that bounced around with each other, and there were laws that governed them, you know. Mm -hmm. But when physicists were led to quantum mechanics because doing experiments, and it was mostly around the end of the 19th, the beginning of the 20th century, doing experiments um, made them come up with new theories because the old theories just didn't work. I mean, that's why basically most, most physicists spend all their time basically applying what they know. Phys the overwhelming majority of physicists never come up with any new theories, okay? What, what physicists do is they apply the known theories. Well, what happens though is every once in a while, they don't work anymore. The theories don't work. And a lot of that happened around again, the end of the 19th, the beginning of the 20th century. There was x-rays and radioactivity and atomic spectra and all this stuff that couldn't be explained with the, phys with the physics that people knew. So they wound up having to invent this new physics, mostly, actually Einstein invented part of it around 1905, Max Planck around 1900, but the full theory was really fleshed out in the 1920s by people like Erwin Schrodinger and Werner Heisenberg and Paul Dirac. And the thing that was different was that it seemed like the experimenter was directly involved in the theory. In, say, classical mechanics, you can say, well, all the planets and everything go about their merry way, and doesn't matter whether you look at them or not. 
Well, all of a sudden in quantum mechanics, when you did an experiment, the outcome of the experiment depended upon what you as an experimenter did. Hmm. It was like things didn't happen until the experimenter did something, which is totally different from classical mechanics. And so basically the book Quantum Enigma tries to explain that. There's a little bit of history about um, how it came about and then talks about the enigma. And in our definition, the enigma is basically the idea is that by your conscious choice of what experiment to perform, you determine what happens. Mm. You're intimately, the observer is intimately involved in the outcome of the experiment. And that's, that's the enigma. Basically, by your conscious choice of experiment, you determine what is going on. And in some ways, you actually also determine what happened before you even looked, mm. which seems very, very strange. It does seem very, very strange. That's why I loved reading your book because it just kind of um, blew my mind and kind of like the world we live in where it seems sometimes so simple, yet it's so complex. So my next question for you is like, what got you like specifically interested in the quantum enigma? Like as a physicist, everyone kind of gets into quantum mechanics and stuff, but like what got you interested into the point where you're like willing to write a book on this um, seemingly like just bizarre that topic? Really, that really, uh, I have to give the credit to to my co-author Bruce Rosenblum mm -hmm. and Bruce and I I was at UC Santa Cruz um, in the 1970s and he, I met him then he was a tenured professor then I left and went into industry and when, then I came back uh, around 2000 I came back to UCSC and we got we, our friend took up our friendship again and he had started teaching a course in the quantum enigma about a few years before. And he was sort of moving toward getting out of teaching. So I took the course over and we started talking about writing a book. He had a lot of notes that he'd written for the class. So we talked about maybe writing a textbook. And then we said, well, why don't we write a popular book about it? You know, And so basically we spent the next I guess 2000, maybe about the next four years having lunch together every day and talking about the book. And that's how it came about. Mm. One of the things I wonder about with like quantum mechanics is like, why does it seem so weird and like kind of like bizarre? The seeming like um, someone with like their own conscious experience can kind of like affect um, mm -hmm. quantum mechanics because on the surface, like I would have never assumed this was the case. Like it would seem like we have this it just seems bizarre and I don't want to misrepresent misrepresent quantum mechanics because I'm quantum, talking to a quantum physicist here, but like, why does it seem so bizarre? Cause like, why, how does like my like conscious experience, like affect like the seemingly like material world, which would be like apart from like my own conscious experience. I'm kind of dropping a really big question on you here. Um, and I'm sure one that you may not have a complete answer to, but like, why does quantum physics seem so bizarre with like everything going on here? At least in your opinion. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure about the why. I'm not sure exactly what you're asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can. I can just clarify. Just to start off, can we talk about like why do you think um, maybe it seems so strange? It's it's a broad question. I understand that. Well, okay. Why is it strange? Well, all right. In our in our everyday life, as I said, some of the things that 
we never see something being in the same we never see the same object in two different places at once. Mm -hmm. Things are always in one place or another place, right? Mm -hmm. In quantum mechanics, when you get down into like the atomic world, if you look at, at an atom, the reality is, you know, I, when you were in school, you know, you get this little picture about the electrons whirling around, you know, mm -hmm. and then maybe if you took a chemistry course, they talked about orbitals. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, suppose... And does that make any sense to you? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're flashing back to my high school memories. Yeah, I'm trying Okay, to okay. So, but the reality is that, say, if you've got an atom with, say, say carbon, six electrons, okay, um, there's a couple of uh, what we call S orbitals, and then there's four P orbitals. But the reality is that every single electron is in every one of those orbitals at the same time. Mm. Okay. You can't, the, the, you, it doesn't work if you think there's an electron here and then there's an electron there. No, every electron occupies all six of those orbitals. Okay. Mm -hmm. you, that's strange, at least to me, that seems very strange. This is not mm -hmm. the way BBs work, right? Mm -hmm. But that's how electrons work. Another very strange thing about is, um, did you ever hear about the Bell experiments, Bell's inequality? I do not believe I have. Okay. Well, we talk about that in the book. <laughs> so yeah, remember from the, from the book um, is that if you have two electrons that interact and then they fly apart, whatever happens to the electron over here, affects what happens to the electron over here, no matter how far apart they are, okay? Well, again, in our normal everyday experience, if I do something over here, it doesn't instantaneously affect something over there, right? Mm. In the quantum world, what you can set up an experiment, such as what happens to the electron here, instantaneously affects the electron over here, okay? Mm. Mm. And then finally, I think this what's probably the strangest thing and what we specifically call the enigma is I can set up an experiment such that what goes on, say I start the experiment here and end the experiment here, and what goes on in between here and here depends upon the choice that I make over here. I determine the what happened between here and here is determined by a decision I make now. Mm. And I determine, so in a sense, is a kind of backward, don't want to really use the word causality, but some kind of backward action mm. that, that makes that. That's the two-box experiment, right, which if you read the book, we talk about the two boxes ad infinitum, maybe even ad nauseum. But, mm -hmm. but uh, if I put a particle in, in a box and then put it through some apparatus that splits what we call its wave function up into two pieces, and then I wind up with two boxes, by my choice of experiment, I can either show that the electron is in box A or box B, or that the electron is in both box A and B. 
And I determine that by my choice of experiment. So did the electron go into just one box or did it go into both boxes? Depends upon what experiment I choose. That's kind of the enigma in a nutshell. And if it's not so clear, well, that's why we had to write a whole book to explain it. Yeah, it's great. And it's a very great um, popular level introduction to this topic. Cause like for someone like me, I have like no pack background knowledge in right. mechanics and I can at least understand it a little bit now. I obviously don't know that much, but at least I can understand like at least the basics of it. Um, one kind of other experiment that I think um, is really interesting, I believe is what's called the eraser experiment with like quantum mechanics quantum and like eraser, right. the quantum eraser. Could you talk a little bit about like that? Cause I help, I help, I think it helps magnify like kind of like what's going yeah, on. Well, that, that's, that's kind of, that's the same kind of thing in the quantum erasure type experiments. What it means is you can sort of show that you do an experiment to show the electron definitely went along this path. But then after it's gone by, you can get rid of that information. Mm. And then the electron acts as if it went on both paths. So in a sense, you can you can erase you you can erase the knowledge that it went on one path or another. Mm. Right. And this is so interesting because this goes to my next question. But like, why do you think um personally if you do like kind of have like a theory that there is this like seeming connection between um the quantum world and like our own kind of like conscious experience kind of like um affecting the quantum world i'm really kind of undecided about that mm -hmm. there's a lot i mean people have all kinds of ideas about that mm -hmm. probably most physicists don't think consciousness is directly involved Mm -hmm. Okay, the, the physicists have a bias against thinking consciousness is involved. As a matter of fact, we got a lot of flack in our department for our book and for mm -hmm. the course we taught. A matter of fact, one of the last things before I left the university, the, just about a year or so before I left, one of the last things, there was a big argument in the department about whether the the course we taught should be continued hmm. there was i if you in in the in the preface to our book we um quoted one of the members of our department who said teaching this stuff to non-scientists is like handing a loaded gun to a child hmm. well so our response is well we teach gun safety <laughs> So our idea is to try and explain to people why we believe these crazy things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, um, one, ex one quote explanation I've heard that makes some sense to me states that consciousness is really primary. Hmm. In other words, the interaction between consciousness and um, the physical world isn't an interaction between conscious and physical world, but an interaction between different aspects of consciousness. There's a guy, I think he might be down at UC Irvine. Um, I haven't read his paper for, for quite a while. His idea is that um, really everything is consciousness. We are just interacting with other consciousness and the physical world is like a graphical user interface in between consciousnesses, mm -hmm. and, you know, so there, and 
and this goes back to James Jeans, who was a um, a uh, physicist back in the 1920s. Um, he said he thought that the universe was more like a great thought than a great machine. Mm. So those are that that's probably along the lines I think where one might understand that. But honestly, I don't know that I I, I don't have an answer, and I don't I don't have an answer for myself either. You know, I, I don't have an answer that I, you know, have decided is is how this whole thing works. Mm. One thing um, that you brought up that's really interesting is the idea that kind of like the universe is like a great thought. Um, and there's different interpretations. Like maybe someone could be like a panpsychist kind of like with what you're right. talking about where like consciousness is like intertwined into like every bit of matter. Right, right. That, that, that's that's um, a number of people who think about, can't remember his name now. Um, I was never very good with names. And now that I've gotten older, I'm much worse. Oh, David Chalmers. David mm -hmm. Chalmers used to teach at UC Santa Cruz. I knew him when he was there. And then he went off to Australia. But uh, he's a pan, he's kind of a believer in panpsychism. Basically, everything's conscious to some mm -hmm. extent. And that, to me, that I probably, if I had to think about things, I um, be something like I'd be something like that. Matter of fact, a friend of mine, um, who by the way is a, is a a Christian and a does a lot of thinking about um, uh, science and Christianity, uh, uh, said I was a um, dual aspect monist. Mm. Basically, that everything has both a physical and a conscious aspect. And, you know, that's, and uh, I said, yeah, that, that's probably about, you know, what uh, probably about sums up mm -hmm. my idea about things. Yeah. Um, we have a few more questions and we'll be going to um, some live questions if anyone saw at least one. But if there's more, we'll be sure to get to some of those. Um, but you talked about like other scientists reaction to your work. I remember like in the book, you talk about how like the science is very rock solid and the interpretations of like what this all means is kind of where things get a little sticky. So would you say that like most um, like scientists in kind of like this field of expertise of quantum physics would lean towards like an explanation that wouldn't involve like consciousness in terms of like talking about like the quantum enigma yes most right matter of fact i just read a paper um just last week i read a paper in which a guy's trying to explain all of this um in terms of everything's relative to everything else but um basically all measurements are relative measurements in other words you always have to talk about the experimenter and the or the, or part of the system and what the system is measuring, but his claim is that that holds for anything, whether it's conscious or not. So, and this goes back to a guy named von Neumann who showed that any quantum system can be divided in different ways, perfectly logically. In other words, you know, say you've got an electron, then you've got a system that measures the electron, and then I've got me looking at the system. Uh, von Neumann said that basically you could break it up in between the electron and the system, or you could break it up between the system and me, and you could you'd be consistent. So this guy says that holds for all systems, um, conscious or not, you know. So 
I kind of got bogged down in the mathematics. You know, mm -hmm. I read about half the paper. I kind of lost interest at the mathematics part. You know, I, I don't do I don't do mathematics quite as fluently as I did uh, when I was younger. So and not uh, math. Oh my gosh, math lost me at calculus. So probably probably about the same level as like what it takes for a quantum physicist, right? Yeah, yeah. linear algebra actually more than more the the math you need to know is really linear algebra. That's the math of quantum mechanics because. Basically, um, in a quantum system, if, if you say if a system can be A or B, it can also be A and B, all mm. right? That leads you into linear algebra, and that's mm. pretty much the math that you use for quantum mechanics. Right. Um, a couple more questions here. Uh, sure. One thing you, you brought up a little bit earlier is you described like the universe is almost kind of like a, a great thought, almost um, something similar to that was kind of like what you painted. Um, and I'm going to represent, try to steal man, Christian here that's talked about like kind of after reading your work and other work in quantum physics, kind of has his own idea of like what the universe is like, where he talks about um, we have God who's a necessary mind who would like create this universe and create this information. Um, so like when we're looking at like this great thought, what we're looking at is like the information that kind of like God created um, in a sense, just in that's kind of like his kind of. Um, and who sense, is, I, I, I missed the name. You broke up a little bit when you gave me the name. I, I didn't bring up the name and he, oh. his videos explain it a lot better than I do, but his name is Michael Jones. He runs the YouTube channel, inspiring mm -hmm. philosophy. He's doing his master his masters of philosophy of science. I think specializing in quantum mechanics. Um, like, what do you think? Like, what are the implications of kind of like the quantum enigma? Could this lead to kind of like the idea that maybe mental, the mental world is kind of like at the fundamental nature of reality? It certainly could be. I mean, that's certainly one direction that people have taken it. You know, there, there's, you know, but I'm at heart, I think I'm still a physicist. And so I, and so the physicist answer is, well, what experiment can I do to show that this is true? Mm. Okay. Um, that reminds me, I was, um, Bruce and I were, you know, Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra. Um, I don't think I do. Okay. He's, he's a Indian guru type who is mm -hmm. very big, like among the Hollywood set and everything. And he's written a lot of books, you know, very, very smart guy. So um, he invited Bruce and I to his, um, to one of his shows, you know, and it, it was, it was a, um, it was down in San Diego where he has a, a whole Institute and he invited Bruce and I down there and, 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 you know, it was like a four day thing. And, and he, he we both gave presentations and I gave one on the, on um, EPR, Let's Einstein Podolsky Rosen effect, which is the thing I talked before about the two electrons going apart. And he said something about, well, doesn't that show that everything's connected? You know? And my answer was, I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. You know, what does it mean to say everything's connected? I said, I'm a physicist. If you give me a statement that I can go in the laboratory and test, then I can tell you whether that's true or not. But if you give me a statement like that, I can't say, I can't 
can't respond to that at all. You know, I said, I have no idea really what that means. Of course, I was never invited back. <laughs> he, wasn't very, he wasn't he wasn't very happy with my response but, but I mean, so, so that's kind of thing i mean you know as i said having been trained as a physicist it always comes back to well what's the experiment that i can do to if you give me a statement what's the experiment i could do to determine whether that statement's true or not you mm. know so statements like everything is a thought or everything is connected. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure I can do anything with that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think that um, at least the way I kind of understand things, I think at some point, I think almost everyone would hit kind of like this metaphysical brick wall um, where it's, where we have like, where, you know, that we have that famous question, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, right. it, was, it seems like, it seems like it's because of there, there, there was something and we can't really, at least from, at least in my beliefs, we can't really test that and poke it and do an experiment and figure it out. It's kind of, um, we have to get into the philosophy almost a little bit and kind of right. wonder like, why is there something rather than nothing? And either way, um, we're just, we're just not going to know, um, at least through like the sciences. And then we can look at like maybe these other reasons and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. but I wonder, like, I, I just think about it just from my, and I'll, I'll leave you with this and then we'll go to a little bit of like live Q and a, the way I kind of look at it is, um, if we have a God and by a God, I mean like a necessary mind that creates the universe at like the foundation of reality. It seems like to me, it would provide a lot of like explanatory depth and explaining like um, this quantum enigma. Like why is there seemingly this connection between um, consciousness and uh, the quantum physics, which underlies our whole world basically. Um, and it seemed like, you know, if there's a mind, it would create it where it, there might be this connection and where I wonder like um, if I was a skeptic or an atheist or something along these lines, do I need to pose like um, panpsychism, like something like, um, shoot, I'm blanking on his name, who you brought up earlier. Uh, David, who I David Chalmers. Yeah. David Chalmers, a brilliant um, philosopher where it's kind of like, it's just, it's almost like a brute fact. I don't when where it's kind of like this consciousness is kind of connected to the mind. So I'll just kind of leave you with that. Like, what do you think about like this enigma and implications and all of this? Like, I'll just leave you with that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so do you have any kind of last, like last words, things you want to say, or uh, before we start to wrap things up and go to a little bit of live questions here, because we covered a lot and a lot of heavy, deep questions, and I don't want to. Yeah, yeah the no, let's just, let's, let's just go to the live questions. Awesome. Um, so there's a few questions here. Um, one is from the programmer, which says, why does Dr. Kuttner think that even if God exists, he doesn't care about human beings? You brought this up a little bit in the beginning, talking about like why. Well, mm -hmm. uh, it's, I would say, probably the central one is the problem of evil. Mm. You know, um, the world to me does not look, um, you know, and again, what do we mean by care? Okay. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of different gods. I mean, people have all kinds of different conceptions about God. The specific conception about God in the, you know, Jewish tradition and then the Christian tradition is a God who cares about human beings. That the world just doesn't look that way to me. Mm -hmm. The universe to me looks like it's indifferent. Um, certainly to individual human, I mean, individual 
humans. Um, one of the things that most impressed me that was that I was looking, probably going back in about 1970, I was looking through a biology textbook and there was a picture of a um, single-celled animal eating another single-celled animal. And it was on the chapter on energy because what it said was, well, you know, it's hard work for to turn sunlight into energy. It's much easier just to eat something that's already turned the sunlight into energy, you know. And so from there, I think about evolution and how everything lives off of everything else. And that to me is a world in which I don't see any overarching intelligence that cares, again, that cares about individual human beings. That's all. Just doesn't look that way to me. Mm, right. Um, the problem of evil is definitely a really big and important challenge to the belief that God exists. I'm really glad that you brought it up. Um, and it's one that we'll probably talk about for a long time. Um, another question here from SlamRN Susan says, has Dr. Um, Kuttner ever met and talked to Marcelo Gleiser, the Jewish physicist um, who won the Nobel Prize? He thinks atheism is inconsistent um, with the scientific method. Well, I've never met him. I don't see how it's inconsistent because I know a lot of atheistic physicists, so I don't see how it can be who apply the scientific method. Um, so I don't see in, in practice that uh, atheism is inconsistent with it. I mean, because it's, uh, it consists in a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you here. Um, another question here from the programmer says, do you believe in a very easy question here? Do you believe in free will? Yeah. I do. And I love, we quote in our book, Isaac Beshevis Singer, we quote him who says, you believe in free will, you have to. <laughs> and I believe it because I feel it. It's, you know, it's, um, I'd find it hard to, log I'd find it hard to argue for it logically, but mm -hmm. I believe in free will. Yeah. Mm. What kind of interesting um, follow-up question I have for you on free will, then I don't, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Awesome. Um, so I think a lot of the times, um, a lot of people kind of with the free will debate, it kind of comes down to like, um, almost like theism versus atheism where like most um, like skeptics that I've encountered, um, whether it's online or like reading, um, they tend to deny free will because if we live in like a determined, causally closed system, how could it be any different? But if we have like um, a free agent that creates the universe, like a God, then free will seems like something to be intuitively true. So I'd be curious, like, how do you like see like the idea of there being this free will? Well, I don't see the universe as deterministically clo closed. I think with quantum mechanics, we see that that's not the kind of universe we have. It's uh, the that was the Newtonian um, universe, hmm. and it seems that what we now know about quantum mechanics is that's not the kind of universe we live in. It's just not like that. There is hmm. this interaction between um, observers and and the world, and you know. Can I prove that I have free will? No, but probably can't prove that I don't have it either, you know. And uh, I think 
for one thing, we need the concept. Of, we all believe in free will, right? Because mm. you don't believe in free will. For instance, well, we put people in prison. Well, if we if we don't believe in free will, you can't put people in prison. Mm, yeah. Because as a matter, you know, because if if uh, if a matter of fact, if I couldn't help what I did, that's a defense. Mm -hmm. You know that 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 gets you off. If I couldn't help it, you know, um, we go under the assumption. I think a necessary assumption that we all have free will. You mm -hmm. know. Now, of course, it's it's all it's restricted. You know, we're all have training. We're all, you know, raised in a certain way. Um, my free will is lessened when I'm asleep, you know? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes if somebody does something, I get really mad, you know, and I, I don't feel like I control how mad I get, you know? I, I yeah. feel like something seized me, you know? <laughs> so it's limited, certainly, but I but I believe that ultimately it exists. Mm. I think it was Peter Van Ingwagen who um, became convinced of libertarian free will because of this idea of like, how can we have moral responsibility if there is no free will? Like you can, you hold the murderer accountable if he was just determined, if he had to do it, there was no other way. I think, I think you're right. Although one could argue that we are determined to treat him as if he had, I mean, what one could argue if you wanted to chop logic that, well, we're determined to treat people as if they have free will, even though we know that there isn't, you know, yeah. one, one could argue that if one wanted to, but, you know, I, I think I'm, I start with the assumption that we do have free will. I start with the assumption that I'm conscious, mm. you know, that, that, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's the one thing I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think therefore I am. Descartes did a lot of work. Um, one interesting question here. I think it's kind of relating to the problem of evil. I'd be curious, like, what your response is here, um, Fred. Um, is it talking about applying anthropomorphic principles to non-human experience with regards to like evolution? Um, I don't think it's the same thing. So it's an interesting theodicy well, I don't that I special creation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't believe. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's a fundamentalist view of Christianity mm -hmm. as well. That's, you know, um, I think even the Catholic church accepts evolution now, you know, though I know fundamentalist Protestants in general don't, but I don't believe in special creation. I believe that we are, you know, a product of 4 billion years of organic evolution on this planet. Mm -hmm. And I think I tend to agree with you. I'm not completely sure on evolution, but I don't really have a problem with it myself. Um, I think one question though, that kind of was like, coming through that with regards to like the problem of evil is the question of like, um, especially like all these evolutionary evils is can these animals or other beings experience these pains? Because if they can experience them, I, it'd be a question of like, is there really a problem of evil if there's no one actually experiencing the evil? And if they are experiencing the evil, I think there's other philosophers that would say, well, maybe there's different theodicies that could kind of be built off that idea. But like, do you have any thoughts on that with regards to, I think well, that's I know, I know, Adam, I know, the higher animals experience pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've had pets; they experience mm -hmm. pain. And I know mm -hmm. dogs and cats do. I'm sure other animals, you know, do as well. And certainly, if you want to know, I mean, the most evil that's done in this world is done by human beings to other human beings. Yeah. That's the majority of evil done in this world, anyway. And human beings do experience pain. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, well, I think that's all the questions we have, Fred. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Um, and even for people holding your toes to the fire there for a little bit and me doing it this time. No uh, is there any, no, if you were to say what you're going to say? No, I was going to say, you know, I, I appreciate it. Um, and I, I thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'd encourage everyone, um, you can check out the book, The Quantum Enigma. It's linked below. It's a great read. Um, it's written at the popular level for everyone to understand. Um, so I encourage everyone to check that out. And Fred, thank you so much one more time um, for coming on and talking today. It's been so much fun. I'm so grateful. I enjoyed talking with you, Zach. Thank you. Yes. And thank you everyone for tuning in. As always, if you're new here, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like. And if you enjoy us, you can support the show on Patreon. Um, it's patreon.com here in apologetics right now. We're about 85% funded. So I appreciate everyone's support. You can support for as little as a dollar a month. That means a lot. But Fred, one last time, a third and final thank you uh, for coming on today. You're very welcome, Zach. And thank you everyone for tuning in. The programmer, Lisa, Ryan, Susan, everyone else. Have a good one. God bless. Bye-bye.